Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. These are the words of God. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? So far in this series in Proverbs, we've talked about the purpose of wisdom uh, and specifically what it says concerning pride and humility. We've dealt a lot with pride and humility. Uh, Today, I want to continue Again, in the Proverbs, I want to continue with our understanding of wisdom, but I want to show you a vital connection between wisdom and kindness. Wisdom and kindness. And that's going to require a right understanding of kindness, which I think we have uh, we've failed at for a long time. It's been my experience that intelligence can often and does often come with a bit of harshness. Why? Because intelligence often results in pride, and I have to struggle with that, right? I have to struggle with those things just as much as you do because we we know a thing, and then we think we know all things, right? And so we kind of push people in those ways. But according to the scriptures and experience, um, when a person is walking in wisdom, kindness is sure to follow. Uh, Kindness will always be present if we are truly walking in wisdom. So again, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, But this kindness may not always appear to be what we perceive as kindness. Uh, So wisdom is always going to contain kindness, but kindness might not always appear to be kindness, at least not as the world defines it. Our our culture views kindness uh, as being polite or tolerant. How many of you know that? If you're kind, that means you're polite to people and you're tolerant of others, and that's basically the definition. But this isn't actually the case. Uh, Should we be such things? Should we be patient? Should we be tolerant? Should we be polite with people? Uh, Yes, in some ways, we should absolutely be that way. Um, But this is not what the Scripture tells us. The Scripture actually gives us something far bigger in our understanding of kindness. The Hebrew word for kindness is the word hesed, it's pronounced hesed, and it's defined as loyalty, it's defined as joint obligation, it's defined as faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, and all of that resulting in godly action, because that's who God is. So for example, uh, when Solomon instructs his son in Proverbs 3.3, he says, do not let kindness, uh, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Okay, so don't, don't lose those. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Not only is truth bound together with kindness, but we're actually talking about faithfulness to truth, if we connect those definitions. So as we read last week, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. 
two stories that fit those, uh, that this proverb or fit the contrast in this proverb would be uh, Nathan the prophet. He would be the wounds of a friend. That's the faithful wounds of a friend. He looks at David. David's walking in sin. He says, you're, you're the guy. Uh, Judas Iscariot would be the opposite, right? This is literally the kisses of an enemy. But what we're seeing here is that true wisdom equals truth employed faithfully. So if we're going to put wisdom and we're going to put kindness together, and kindness is defined as faithfulness, then what we have to see is that true wisdom means that we are kindly, we are faithfully articulating the truth inside of our world. C.S. Lewis in uh, his work, The Problem of Pain, said this. He said, the real trouble is that kindness is a quality fatally easy to attribute to ourselves on quite inadequate grounds. Listen to what he says. Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him in the moment. I don't think you're listening to me, right? We're all so kind when everybody's not irritating us. So what we want is we want to remove all the negative people from our lives so that we can remain kind. But you need to remain kind even when you are dealing with a jerk. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Present company not included. Anyway, okay, so Lewis goes on. Thus a man easily comes to console himself for all of his other vices by a conviction that, well, his heart's in the right place and, well, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Though, in fact, he has never made the slightest sacrifice for a fellow creature. We think we are kind when we are only actually happy. It's real easy to be kind when you're happy, right? It's just the way it is. It's not so easy, Lewis says, on the same grounds to imagine oneself temperate, chaste, or humble. And now, according to a right understanding of kindness, it's also not easy to understand ourselves as being faithful. So again, kindness is faithfulness, and faithfulness plays out even when the person that you're dealing with or being kind to is rather difficult. Uh, Just as forgiveness uh, is required where there are no excuses, how many of you know that? Forgiveness means, in order to forgive, it means there isn't an excuse. If there was an excuse, no forgiveness is needed, right? So you're forgiving the inexcusable, Just as that is the case, I argue that faithfulness is most required precisely when people are difficult, precisely when life is difficult. That's when it's hard to remain faithful. So let's look at Solomon uh, for an example of this. Solomon's first recorded judgment as king. We know the story. There were two women in the Bible who uh, brought their case before King Solomon. They had both had babies in the night. And after one of those babies died, uh, the bereaved mother stole the live baby from the, uh, from the other. Okay, stole her and tried to take, her, uh, take the baby as her own. King Solomon uh, could have just brushed this off, right? Not if he's a faithful king, right? But he could have brushed it off. He could have refused to, to be kind in this situation. Instead, he does something that may not seem kind at first blush, but it actually is true kindness. He takes the baby. He asks for a sword. He says, cut the baby in half and give half to each woman. Sounds fun, doesn't it? I love the Bible. It makes me so happy. Anyway, okay, so give, give equal halves, right, to each one. This seems patently absurd, okay? This is unbelievable. But it, it is actual kindness, okay? Uh, Solomon's intent was not to divide a baby with a sword. His intent was to divide the truth from a lie, okay? 
That's what Solomon's aim is. Solomon was being kind because he was being faithful to the truth. He was going to find that truth out somehow. This is actually a king's responsibility. It's a faithful king is always going to be for the truth. A faithful king won't show partiality. A faithful king will always execute justice. Solomon had uncovered truth by acting as a faithful and a kind judge. Isn't that cool? Uh, this is what God does with us, mind you. And we're going to see this as it unfolds today. Uh, But God is the same judge over us. The scripture tells us that the church is supposed to be led by a plurality of elders. And I find it fascinating that when when you trace the qualifications for a king in ancient Israel, you're actually going to find the majority of parallels there to an elder inside of a church. Why? Because they must be faithful. They must be kind. They must not be given to certain things. They have to have their head on their shoulders because they can't be people that judge with partiality. They have to be able to say, give me the baby and a sword. We'll see who's bluffing, right? That's what has to happen uh, among leadership in a church. And so it's just food for thought for you and fun future study if you like that kind of thing. There's another part, though, to the story of Solomon, uh, Solomon's first judgment, and that is something, really, it's a part of the story we just can't miss, and that's the kindness of a mother. The kindness of a mother. When presented with King Solomon's proposal, the real mother was catalyzed to make a sacrifice of love. I just, it blows me away. Those who walk in wisdom, care for truth, and for the lives of others... Above themselves. I don't like this. (laughs) I don't like this. It's it's all about I, me, mine, right? It's all about what what I'm going to do. No. No, it has to be focused on others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Oh, that is hard. Because they're... Because it's difficult people, right? (laughs) It's really hard to think of them as more important than yourself when they're being a pain. Can I get some amens? You guys all just going to sleep all day? You guys are all good. You have no painful people in your life. I don't know what's happening. Anyway, the birth mother in the story was willing to save the child's life even at the steep cost of losing what she loved. Wow. This is kindness. This is faithfulness in action. And guess what? Because of it, God rewarded her. He gave her the very thing she wanted, her baby. God is faithful in this exact same way, church. He can't be otherwise. It's just not going to happen. Even when we go wayward, guess what? God remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, it'll be on the screen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In connecting the ideas of faithfulness and kindness, we we start to understand that God is kind even when we don't deserve it, and that's, of course, what we're supposed to do. Uh, It's this character, this never-changing nature that leads us to repentance. God's kindness doesn't prevent sin. Please hear me, church. God's kindness does not prevent sin. It simply serves as a beacon that lights our path of return. Obedient people, even though they don't always obey perfectly, can I get more amens? Uh, Even though they don't obey perfectly, remember their king's loyalty and they run back to him. 
right? The child returns to the father who has not provoked him or her to anger. Why is this? Because true wisdom embodies kindness, and kindness is what? Faithfulness. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, Take the prodigal son. Alone in the prodigal's destitution, uh, he remembers the light of his father's goodness, doesn't he? He looks back to his father's goodness. Uh, He put his foot to the path of repentance, willing to be absolutely nothing more than a servant when he arrived. Now, I I need you to understand this. That was the willingness of the son. That was never indicated in the scripture that that was the heart of the father. It was never said in scripture that the heart of the father would just have to put his son into servitude. Not at all. The father's heart never changed. The father sat on his front porch waiting for his boy to return. That's an amazing story. But the son had resolved this idea. He says, okay, I'll, I'll return back. I'll go back to my father's house, and I will just be a servant. But his father never stopped being faithful. As a kind and generous judge, the father pronounced forgiveness over his son and restored him to a place of honor. This is the faithfulness of the father, not the son. Doesn't, doesn't matter what the son's doing at this point. This is the faithfulness of the father. And whatever faith the son had, it was in his father's faithfulness, right? The son returned trusting something, but what is he trusting? He's trusting in something of the father. He's not trusting in something of himself. We see the same faith uh, in God's faithfulness from King David in Psalm 103, verses 14 and 15. Here's what David writes. Verse 14 and 15 of Psalm 103, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form. He is mindful that we are nothing but dust. Now please understand something. That is not to be understood as a derogatory term in the Bible. You dirt bag, right? That's not what God is saying. That's literally true. Did you know that? From dust you came, to dust you will return. You were made from dust. What gave you life? The breath of God. Why did God choose dust to make you out of? Who knows? That's just what he did, okay? But it doesn't speak of a value statement of people. David simply looks at it and says, without the life of God, without the kindness of God, without the love of God, I'm dust. I understand this. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But this cannot be confused with saying something like, without perfect faithfulness, it is impossible to please God. Hear what I just said again, church. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the Bible says. But we can't confuse it to say something like, without perfect faithfulness, it is impossible to please God. You want to know why that's true on a basic level? Because ain't nobody ever done it. There's my Amelia coming out, okay, right? Nobody's ever done this. Uh, We, every one of us have sinned. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. What's the difference? The first has its focus on God's faithfulness. The latter is on our faithfulness. This is us trying to earn our way before God. The first has its faith in God, and the second has its faith in our faith, or faithfulness, I guess, as it would be rightly understood. 
Let's look at this idea on the parable, uh, through the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. The servant who was entrusted with one talent or the lowest amount of talents, he hid his talent in the ground because he was afraid of his master. How many of you know the story? He's afraid of his master. He actually said these words. It'll be on the screen. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Oh, you knew that, did you? That's a fascinating thing. This is his view of his master. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. He he didn't have the fear of his master as in a reverence. He was Scared to death of his master. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. And this line is telling. I could speak 3,000 sermons on this line. Here, you have what's yours. Wow. That's very bold for a servant to say. This is all that belongs to you. Here, you have what's yours. Right? The servant didn't understand that though his master was a shrewd man, he was also a kind and a faithful man. Uh... The servant had trusted in his own ability rather than in the character of his master, and even more, he trusted in a faulty view of his master's character, which then led him to to trust his own actions in every way. The servant believed that if he failed, his master would be harsh. How many of you walk through your Christian life actually believing that same thing? You're not one to raise your hand, but I sure know it's true. I've sat down across the coffee table from too many of you, knowing that that's exactly the way you feel. So, so you're worried. You're constantly worried. If I drop the ball, master's too harsh, it's over. Whatever this servant's action or inaction from this point, he was trusting in himself. But if the servant had merely placed the money, the, money, the master's money, in the bank, the master would have been good to him. How do we know that? Because the master said so, right? That's exactly what he told him. Some might ask the question, well, isn't placing my money in the bank a work to earn my salvation or to earn my place before God? And the answer, of course, again, is no. No no more than having faith in God's faithfulness is the work that saves you, right? Is what saves you. You have faith in his faithfulness, but your faith doesn't save you. It trusts in what he has done. You don't personally make your money grow in a bank either. You place your trust in those who invest for you. Uh, You also don't save yourself again by some force called faith. Remember that. We're saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace by having faith that the grace giver is faithful. Did you hear that? (laughs) We are saved by grace by having faith that the grace giver is faithful. That's how this works. The Bible is very clear on this. In the Christian life, our faithfulness is only ever a result of trust in God's faithfulness. His kindness and faithfulness lead us to repentance. But let me ask you the question. What's repentance again? Turning around? Doing it his way, right? It's turning around. What are we turning, to, what are we turning from? Sin and death. What are we turning to? Faith and life. Is repentance a one and done thing? <laughs> I sure wish it was. What happens if we act foolishly over and over? Psalm 26, 11 says, Like a dog that returns to its vomit, so is the fool who repeats his foolishness. Yikes. Right? Is there any hope for this? 
The answer is yes. There's plenty of hope for it. Matthew 18 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Give me a number so I can be done with this, right? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. This is as many times as it takes, right? In Luke 17, uh, if, if uh, this is what the scripture says, it, and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, saying, I repent, saying, I repent, none of that says you saw it, right? Saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I hate this, (laughs) right? Seven times in a day. If this is how we're to treat those who sin against us, how much more will our Heavenly Father forgive us? Don't think for two seconds that you are more faithful than God. More loving, more kind, more generous. You are exhibiting foolishness very clearly if you think that, right? He is faithful. And then he calls us to this. Our job is to repent and to trust him to be what he is. He is our kind master. Our faithfulness is only ever again a result of trust in God's faithfulness. This is how the scripture can say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. At the same time, it says, if you sin, confess your sin, and he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. Those don't seem to go together, Nathan. I thought he was a holy God. I thought he hated sin. Yes, he's made a covenant with you through his blood. And so in that, there's no condemnation. And in that no condemnation, all the sin you commit, I'm not suggesting you test grace, right? I'm simply saying that God is faithful. He always is and always will be. There's a popular Christian song out there, and this will be the part where I make some enemies. But it's fun to make enemies sometimes. Popular Christian song out there that says something that I really want you to consider. Here's the line, and I won't sing the melody, but you'll know exactly what it is. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You guys know the song I'm thinking of, right? You've heard this song. It's on Christian radio all the time. Okay. That first line is actually fine. I have no problem with that first line. Many of us go through times and seasons where we don't feel very loved by God. Can I get an amen? Like we can raise our hands and our legs on this one. Anyway, so we don't feel loved by God and especially when discipline is happening. Why? Because nobody likes discipline in the moment. But the second line is actually the problem. And I want to I challenge you on this. Where do we get the idea that God calls us strong when we think we're weak? Where do we get this idea? We are never to look at ourselves for strength. We're to look to God for his strength. Is this this clear, guys? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says this, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Yay! Sounds like a fun thing to talk about. I'll boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Whose power? Christ's power. Ever your power? No, not your power. Paul boasted in his weakness, but we want God to tell us how good and strong and beautiful we are. I propose to you that you are a product 
of the postmodern world who has a very low self-esteem and constantly needs God to tell you you're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, he loves you. John 3.16 said it enough. God so loved you, he died for you. But this is the thing that we sing. These are the things that we do. And, it, and I understand what people are doing, but this is just not what the Scripture says. We want God to tell us all this. This isn't what we see. Sure, we are overcomers. The Scripture does say that. But only because of King Jesus. How are you an overcomer? In him. You're not an overcomer because he told you, Nathan, you're an overcomer. That's not the way it works. It's because of what Jesus has done. Why does this matter? Because every time we shift our focus back to ourselves, we fail to see the faithfulness of God. We fail to see the kindness of God. And when we fail to see it, we don't walk in repentance. We walk in arrogance. I'm good enough. I got this. I'm fine. God said I'm beautiful. God's the only one who tells me that, according to Mark Williams. Anyway, but it's fine. I'm good with that, right? But that's the truth. If we don't understand that it is his strength that works, if it's not his faithfulness, if it's not his kindness, we're going to walk around thinking we're good, and we're going to overlook some very tragic uh, parts in our lives. If we think about King David in this, we see that what made him a man after God's heart was not his sinless perfection, right? It was that he refused to trust in his own faithfulness. Remember how David stands before a giant? He doesn't stand before a giant and say, I got this. He says, God's got this. Who's his faith in? Not not himself. He wasn't so stupid. He trusted in God. And so so David refuses to trust in his own faithfulness. Instead, it rests in his father. And when he went astray, he simply returned. David's response was opposite of the servant in the parable of the talents. David knew that God was justified in his judgments, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of God being some sort of hard master. Listen to what Psalm 51 says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Does this sound like David trusted in his own faithfulness? Not for one second. David's song wasn't, you say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. Sorry, David doesn't, David doesn't agree with Lauren Daigle. <laughs> okay? Instead, David understood his weakness. He accepted that weakness, and then he trusted in God's strength. Now, I just said he didn't agree with Lauren Daigle. I'm not trying to toss her under the bus. What I would love for you to do is always analyze the things you sing. Analyze everything that you read. Is it right? Is it true? Is it good? If it's not, throw it away, no matter how much you like the melody. <laughs> right? You need to make sure that you're, you're filling your mind and your heart with those things that are good and pure and holy. We've got to do this. Over time, especially with songs, church, 
Over time, people's hearts and minds shift their doctrinal beliefs because songs are powerful. Songs are powerful. I'm not telling you go burn all your albums like they did in the 70s. I really don't care, right? I think my dad lost some valuable records in that, okay? I don't know what he was thinking. But what I, because I could have had an inheritance, but now I got nothing. Anyway, I got nothing, right? He had Beatles EPs. He had a lot of, I'm bitter. Anyway, so we're moving, we're moving back, anyway, back to reality. But the point is, is that songs are powerful, And slowly over time, we start to believe the lyric of the song more than we believe the Bible that was supposed to inform it, right? Please take a look at that when you are listening to songs. David understood his weakness. He accepted his weakness. He trusted God. Uh, Remember David's words in Psalm 51, 12, sustain me with a willing spirit. Who sustains who? God sustains us, okay? David knew he needed God's help to walk in repentance. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus told his disciples, keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In God's kindness, now listen, he doesn't have to do anything here. He can say, you you guys are pipsqueaks, you fail, go to hell. He could do that, but he doesn't. In his kindness, God understands that our flesh is weak and he provides us with an antidote. What's the antidote? His help. He's the one helping. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he, was suffered, uh, he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Show of hands, how many of you are tempted? I'm waiting till Beth raises her hand and Roger raises their hand. Bunch of liars. Mackenzie, I'm going to come out there. That's what's going to happen anyway. Okay, so we got it, right? We're all tempted. We understand that. But guess what? God comes to our aid in those moments. Does it mean we won't fall short in that temptation? No. Temptation does give birth to sin. There is grace. There is mercy. There is a faithful God. Still don't test it, right? Don't just constantly try it. But you understand who he is with us. Romans chapter 8, 26 says, Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We even have a prayer partner. I spoke on this back in our Roman series. Does God help prevent our faltering? The answer is no, he doesn't. But it does prove that God is kind and faithful to us absolutely no matter what. Everything we've learned up to this point shows us that wisdom displays kindness and that kindness is actually faithfulness. And when it comes to our obedience and repentance, when it comes to the gospel, our faith is in what? God's faithfulness, not ourselves. It can't be in us. Charles Spurgeon said this, Judge by, uh, judged by changeful feelings, that would be our own, right? Judged by changeful feelings, one might be lost and saved a dozen times a day. How many of you felt that way? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I know what you're thinking. That's what we feel like, right? One misstep and, one misstep and what happens? Lightning bolts are flying, right? I'm asking you instead, though, instead of viewing it that way, to walk with me and to trust. Walk with me and trust in the faithfulness of God, not our faithfulness. It's not going to work that way. 
when we do his kindness, will lead us to repentance, and it'll lead us to repentance every single time, doesn't it? It'll also lead you to walking in that repentance, right? So it's not, you, you shouldn't do this all your life, right? Repentance is turning, but you shouldn't look like a top, <laughs> right? It, okay, you get it. Anyway, so new definition. I want to take you through a couple of Proverbs, two Proverbs, actually, to see how this plays out. And this is actually going to show you the power of right interpretation. We are to rightly divide the Word of God. Amen? So watch this. This is really cool. Proverbs 31.26 says, She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of hesed, the teaching of kindness, is on her tongue. What does kindness mean, though? It's faithfulness. The Proverbs 31 woman speaks wisdom... That's what she's doing, but what's the curriculum of her teaching? Well, it's kindness, it's faithfulness. As we re- read the well-known chapter, we see a lot of faithfulness play out in the Proverbs 31 woman. She's a faithful mother, she's a faithful wife, she's a faithful worker. This woman is not just teaching her children how to be polite and tolerant of other people. That's, just, that's not what kindness means, church. She was teaching them how to be faithful people in absolutely everything they do. Some of you wonder what your aim is at parenting. What, what's the, what is the aim? And, and I think culturally we've made that aim something like producing good citizens, right? We, we, want, we just want our kids to be good, contributing citizens to our culture. And that, that's fine. Aim for that, I suppose. That's, that's, a good, that's a good aim. But it's so much bigger. What we're doing as image bearers is trying to replicate image bearers. And if image bearers are faithful, then we're trying to replicate faithful image bearers. Amen? So we should have this amazing thing where we say, oh, Who's in that church? Four generations of Frankhausers or something like that, right? We should be able to say something like that, if you can even pronounce my last name. But right, we should be able to say that. We're saying that because we're supposed to be faithful and we're supposed to be producing faithfulness. Is that right? That's your aim as parents. Your aim as parents is not to get them through high school and then kick them out. <laughs> Although you might want to, and I understand. Your, your aim, though, is to produce faithful children. Train up your child in the way they should go, and in the end, they never leave your home. No, they... they <laughs> well, crap. Anyway, no, no, they, they won't depart, right? That's the point. <laughs> I am not... I don't even know where I'm at right now, but anyway, this is fun for me. So, you guys are enjoying it far too much. I can see it on your faces. So, the idea is we're training faithful kids. That's what we're doing. Amen? Not kids who dye their hair blonde. Sorry. Sorry. I was just, I was just, I'm teasing you, Tommy. Anyway, I had to. This faithfulness stretched beyond her personal relationship with God also. Proverbs 31 woman. Tommy hates me now. But anyway, a virtuous woman is going to remind those she loves that they are products of a perfect faithfulness, a faithfulness of their heavenly father, not themselves. So this is one of the key things of a godly mom and a godly dad. Keep teaching your kids the true gospel. They are saved by grace, through faith, and that faith is a faith in God's faithfulness, not their own. Amen. Proverbs 19.22. What is desirable in a person is his kindness. How many of you agree with that? You like that in people? We want kindness in people. And it is better to be a poor person than a liar. (laughs) 
Seems random there. No, it's not random. There are many moving parts in this proverb, but I'll just give you, I'll give you a couple things. Um, every one of us desires kindness. Every one of us desires faithfulness as we now understand it of others. The second half of the verse, though, proves our definition to be true. That is, kindness equals faithfulness. The contrast here is between a liar and his opposite. A liar and the opposite. A liar is unfaithful with the truth. And a person who peddles in the truth is faithful to the truth, right? So the liar and the faithful one. The one, uh, the whole of this proverb would then suggest it's better to be faithful and poor. This is the American dream. It's better to be faithful and poor than it is to be a liar and rich. Hmm. Barney, for the first time in his life, is saying amen really loud to that because, well, he's flat out poor now, (laughs) right? He left his job to come work with me. What kind of an idiot does that? Anyway, so I just convinced him, well, that's all there is to it. No, no. It's amazing, though, because faithfulness and poverty, fine. You know that you can endure anything if you're walking with God? But if you're just going to lie about things, if you're just going to be a liar, uh, it's not going to go well. All of this gets back to this proper definition of kindness being the issue of faithfulness. True wisdom will show kindness, and kindness equals faithfulness. Romans 2 verse 4, this is how we wrap it up. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? This is just where I get candid and who knows how long-winded with you. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, church. It's his faithfulness that turns you. It's his faithfulness that brings us joy in life. It's not ours. It's never going to be ours. And every time we rewrite the gospel to do something where it becomes reliant on us. And I'm not throwing out a call to holiness. I'm not throwing out that we should walk after God purely before him because he has done so much for us. But what I am saying is that it is the faithfulness of God that we are looking to. When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He has never dropped the ball. As long as there's a day called today, we should repent and turn back to him. If there's a moment and you don't get struck with a lightning bolt, repent and follow after him, right? God is faithful, and it is that faithfulness that leads to repentance. So this is where, where I want to share with you something about preaching the gospel and how you share it with others. It is true that there are consequences of our actions. It is true that if we do not repent and believe, there is a condemnation for us. We refer to it as hell, okay? There is a condemnation. There is something for people who reject who God is, okay? But the Bible never once says repentance comes because you beat the snot out of somebody with fear, Never says it. Is it true that there are consequences? Yes. What leads to repentance, though? Kindness. 
What turned the prodigal around? Kindness. What made the the steward, what made the servant of the master hide his talent? His view that his master was not kind. If we go out in this world presenting an unfaithful God, if we go out presenting a God who lacks kindness and love, a God who did not save the entire world through his blood, the entire world, every last human being that has ever walked the face of this planet because he knows what he's doing, And if we present a God who does not do that, we are presenting a God who we believe just makes you repent. After all, he's going to turn this group and not that group. Hogwash, church, irritates me so bad. What is happening here is that the faithfulness of God leads us to repentance. And it has led every one of us to repentance. And it wasn't something in ourselves. We were overwhelmed by his goodness. And so will the world be if we'll share it with them. So will the world be if we will tell them, God loved you enough to die for you. And then when we call them to a right life, when we call them to walk after a God who is not just waiting, he's got a naughty list and a nice list, and he's waiting to switch your name over so he can condemn you. If we will understand that we're dealing with a God who said, I threw away the list because of what my son did. If we will follow that God, even when we screw up, which we shouldn't do, but even when we screw up, guess what we'll do? We'll remember the goodness of our Father and we'll run back to Him because that's what the Bible says. God is faithful, church. He is kind. He loves us and He has offered that extension to all who will put their trust in Him. And I happen to love that. I happen to love that. And it's not because I just agree with the story. It's because that's what the story actually says. His kindness is what leads us to repentance. Please go into your world. Settle down. Please go into your world and share with the people of your world that if they will repent and believe, God will be faithful. When you are unfaithful, point to the faithfulness of God. When you are weak, look to his strength. Don't look to yourself. And don't tell people they've got to pick themselves up by their bootstraps to make it in. And don't even come close to presenting to them that it's a cosmic lottery. It's foolishness to do otherwise. You've seen what the pages of Scripture say. You know what they say. To think otherwise is a challenge. To think otherwise is a problem. His kindness is what leads us to repentance. I want that kindness every day of my life. And I want the rest of the world to see that kindness. That kindness is not, again, as I said before, it's not just politeness and tolerance. It's faithfulness. It's faithfulness of one who cannot be unfaithful. My goodness. I've never... I've never been more moved in my life 
than to know. His faithfulness is what keeps me. If it wasn't for that, guys, number one, I can't get saved to begin with. And number two, I can't stay saved no matter what I do. I am saved because of his faithfulness, and I am kept because of his faithfulness. And what am I doing? Believing that's true. Believing that's true. That's what the Bible says. Believe. That's it. That's what the world needs to do. That's what they're invited to do. Amen.